The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. And you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, Joining me this morning is Mike Matusik. Mike is author of Ethical Wisdom for Friends. That's his new book. He is a best-selling author, a teacher, a speaker, a writer. He writes for the New York Times, Harper's Bazaar, um, and is... His books have been international bestsellers. So the latest book, Ethical Wisdom for Friends, How to Navigate Life's Most Complicated, Curious, and Common Relationship Dilemmas is what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome to the show, Mark. Nice to have you on this morning. Thanks, Catherine. It's good to be here. This is a topic I think that most of us wrestle with all the time, Um, the do's and don'ts of friendship, who's loyal, who's not, when they're not, what do you do about it? talk about friendship, as you say in your book, commitment, greed, jealousy. Um, I would call this a hot topic, and I have two examples I'm going to talk to, personal examples. I'm going to get your advice after in, in the uh, later on in the show. So, okay, ethical wisdom for friends. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about paying attention to the fact that friendship is an emotional relationship. It's an affair of the heart. Uh, it's a complicated relationship, and we need to pay closer attention to the uh, to the nuances and the 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 importance of friendship, and stop taking our friends so for granted. You know, we tend to have this idea that if we're not sleeping with people, or if they're not a member of our family, that somehow the relationship is on the second tier. You know, and gets and gets uh, it, gets, it tends to get short shrift. Uh, but the truth is that our friends are our, uh, are our emotional allies. They're there for us when, when, when the chips are down, and we need to appreciate them even in the good times. Friends are our support systems. We need friends, not only, which is what you're saying, we have our family, we have our partners, but we need our friends. And I'm assuming by writing this book, Mark, you're saying that we don't necessarily manage those friends' relationships very well, or we run into a lot of problems in terms of dealing with our friendships, maintaining friendships for long periods of time. What are some of the pitfalls of friendship? I mean, I mentioned them actually in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are so many. There are so (laughs) many. Uh, I mean, one of the 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 major pitfall of friendship is that even though it's it's their intense emotional connections and affairs of the heart, uh, when things go wrong in friendships, we don't often know. Uh, how to deal with with the problems that come up, and we don't know how seriously to take it. You know, when when things happen with a partner or in family, there's this there's this this mandate to to take care of it right away. But friends can let things slide because we don't tend to live with our friends. There's more distance uh, and more time often between you know connections, so we can let friendship 
issues uh, kind of go under the table, and then we turn around and wonder why we don't feel close anymore, why the, why people have have withdrawn from us, for example, or, or you know why we don't feel as comfortable with with a particular friend or as as cared for uh, by a particular friend as we want to, because we're generally not paying close enough attention. So, so my reason for writing the book was to bring people into, uh, into awareness uh, around some of the common friendship issues that, that, that arise and, and how we can deal with them you know, morally and, and caring for ourselves as, as well as the other person. Let's talk about the common friendship issues with specific examples, because you have readers write in letters from readers who have given you all kinds of, uh, as you describe it, wisdom about friendship, commitment, as I mentioned earlier, honesty, greed, jealousy, loyalty, all of the competition and more. So let's be specific. I like, let's talk examples, people. Okay. Well, one, one major issue is non-reciprocity. You know, people uh, people who take advantage of of, of other people who don't uh, who are who who don't practice the golden rule. You know, mooches. Uh, uh, people who who are are not there for you when 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 you need them um, and don't understand the you know the balance how to maintain the balance in a friendship. So the the number one thing is 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 reciprocity is is giving back. Uh, to those who give to us, and and ma- making sure that there is parity, making sure there's there's a balance I- in the friendship. Uh, when, but if when, one when, has a pattern, Mark, if one has a pattern of of attaching oneself to people like this, where there is no reciprocity, and maybe you're always one person's always giving, the other person's always taking. Is that true friendship, or is that no, just the, no. Yeah, in fact, dysfunctional it, no, it's not. <laughs> it, it's not. No, what it is is it becomes that becomes an exploitation. It becomes a kind of a one up, one down relationship, and uh, a co- and there's a lot of codependency often in those relationships. Uh, the person who gives more is is often bound by fear uh, of losing losing the other person, uh, and the other person may, often without even knowing it can be exploiting that fear. You know, when, when people are willing to give, we're mostly willing to take. So it, it's really important not to set a precedent where one person is always giving more than the other. And that goes with also with, uh, with making dates. You know, if one person is always doing the calling, always doing the connecting, and always doing the maintenance piece of the friendship, that is also not healthy, and that's bound to lead to resentment. And it also reflects a lack of engagement on the part of the friend who isn't, who isn't, uh, doesn't have the other person on, on his or her radar. You know, we want to so feel like our friends. We want to feel like our friends are paying attention, like they, like we're on their radar. Mark, so that's a red flag. This is not a friend. This isn't working out. This is not a balanced relationship. And maybe you just have to what? Cut it off. Be aware that this is what's happening, and so you just. Terminate the relationship? Well, no, you know, I don't believe in termination without conversation. And I think the first thing you do is you, you, is you if it matters enough to you, you bring it up. And, and in a non-aggressive uh, or threatening way, uh, you, you let the person know what's going on from your perspective and hear what they say. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, I didn't know you felt that way. And, and, and they can, they will, uh, they'll start trying. So sometimes it's just a matter of making it conscious. Then there are people who who simply will not respond, uh, even if you bring that up. They're they're either self too too self absorbed or just don't care that much about the friendship. And those are the ones to to let go of. But I, I do believe in letting people 
show, uh, giving people the opportunity to show up, uh, and then if they don't, uh, once they know the situation, then then you know, then we have to we have to move on. We have to make adjustments in our expectations. So no termination without conversation. It sounds like taxation without representation, but. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't believe in. I don't like. I don't like disappearing without letting people know what's going on. I, and I don't like it when it's done to me. You know, there are people, and this happens especially with men. You know, men to avoid an emotional moment. Uh, you hurt my feelings. I, I. You weren't there for me. We'll just. We'll just withdraw and, and shut down. And that's happened to me. I've done it myself in the past, so I know, you know I'm not. I'm not just pointing fingers. And it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel respectful. It doesn't feel like the person um, cares about you in any deep way. And so, no, I, I don't like disappearing. I don't like being disappeared on. And I feel like we owe it to the people in our lives to let them know how we feel. If we, if you can't let a friend know how you feel, it's not a friend. It's it's something else. But it's not a truly intimate uh, relationship in your life. I think men have difficulty kind of opening up the door. If I've ever had a, an issue with somebody that I considered a friend and there was a problem, it is, and say if it's a couple, it's usually the woman who calls and says, hey, I feel like something's going on here. It's not working. Let's talk about it. I don't think a man has ever done that, if you, you know, kind of going along with what you're saying. But, um, okay, that's, now, but let's talk about, like, say you've had a long term relationship, you do have a friendship, a, a long-standing relationship with somebody, but then greed, jealousy, competition gets in the way, it, because that's a different kind of a scenario. How about... It is. It yeah. is. And, and, and it, it's challenging. I mean, you know, David White talks about having the challenge, the courageous conversation. You know, we need to be able to have the courageous conversation. And, and, and there are some things it's never a great moment to bring up and that, that need to be brought up. And, and if you're, it, it takes, it does take, um, it takes bravery uh, to be, to have intimacy in your life. There are moments when you, you do have to kind of step you know, step up uh, and 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 go against your own discomfort and 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 be honest. But in my in my experience with my true friends, every time I do that, we get closer together. Every time I do that, we we both learn something. So if you see relationship as a spiritual and an emotional journey of 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 of, of waking up and discovery, uh, then these can become opportunities for learning. They don't have to just be. You know, awful moments that you that you that you that you want to avoid. It can be a, a way. It can be a time of becoming conscious of 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 what you're doing, what the other person is doing, and it, it can bring you closer together. What happens if it doesn't bring you closer together? It can. I agree. It has the potential to do that, but you have to, as you say, you have. To, it's risky. I mean, courageous, risky. Uh, it's emotionally risky. It's kind of scary to approach. And depending on how much you feel like you have been put upon, I mean, you know, sometimes it's a major issue. Sometimes maybe not so much. But if you really feel like you've been kind of screwed over by a friend, uh, it's tough to. Say I want to sit down and talk about it. And yes, you're right; it can bring you together, but um, and it is, but it's very risky. 
I, I it's risky, it, but what's yeah. the alternative? The alternative is that you withdraw into a kind of half-honest, you know, half-close relationship with someone that you're, you're basically hiding your feelings from. Uh, and what, what kind of friendship is that? that? That's not a solid foundation for, for closeness and truthfulness you know, between friends. You know, relationships are risky, and, and that's the other thing that I wanted to point out in this book, is that you know, friendship isn't a walk in the park. You know? and, and, uh, an aunt of mine used to say that love doesn't come with wheels. You know? It doesn't just roll along on its own, and neither do friendships, and we tend to think that they do. You know, we think that once someone's in our life, uh, they're in our life permanently, and that we don't really need to you know, do any maintenance on the relationship, because it's not a real relationship. You know, it's just a friendship. And we forget that when the heart is involved and when we care about people, there is risk involved. There's the risk of being hurt. There's the risk of not being uh, of a person not being honest with you. There's the risk of, of rejection. All of those risks exist. Uh, and that's why it's all the more important to be truthful with our friends and not let things go too long. Uh, and What's to allow long? ourselves to What would to, be to too be, long? And just to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, that's the number one thing. If we can't be vulnerable with our friends, they're not our friends. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, Absolutely. You have to be able to trust and respect, but vulnerability, I agree with you. What's too long? Let's say you feel or you're... That, that, that something's not right, that your friend has done something behind your back, that you were, you know, and you should give specific examples from the book because I think that really helps listeners to kind of put a face on it so we know what we're talking about. But um, you feel like they've done something to you, they've done you wrong. What's too long to wait? I mean, do you think about it? Well, well I, I, I mean, I think that, that uh, any any... I, I think procrastination is always a bad idea, and too long is is any time you know any time uh, you know a day or two beyond the 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 moment of of, of something you know bad happening. For instance, in a really in a friendship of mine, uh, I, I had a friend who uh, betrayed me, who betrayed my confidence with somebody, uh, and. I knew that if I didn't say something immediately that I was going to start to withdraw. I, I, I just, I know myself and I know what happens in, in relationships. So I had to ask myself very clearly, you know, how much does this uh, friendship matter to me? Uh, and if it does matter to me, I need to speak up right away. And I'm so glad that I did because this was one of those situations where she got it. She didn't intend uh, for this to be a betrayal, even though that's how it registered with me. And we were able to clear it up right away. And and in my closest, in, in our closest friendships, it's great to have that kind that kind of quick turnover so that we can maintain the emotional hygiene of the relationship. Um, and then I've had, I've had, then I talk about something else that happened in the book with two friends who were actually frenemies, uh, and they just let these, the, they let one offense after another just go by the wayside, and in time they grew to hate each other more and more until they finally broke up. They never did any kind of maintenance, you know, when, 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 when things happened between them, and, and it, it spelled the end of the friendship. Well, I, my, I can identify with, the first example you gave of yourself, you know, if you wait too long, you can just, then the, it just goes by, the relationship can just disintegrate. However, there is something for me 
that when I feel like I've been betrayed, let's say, by a friend, that if I leave a week or two, it gives me time to kind of get over that anger and to be able to perhaps put my thoughts together and be able to, when I talk to the person or talk to my friend, to be a little more rational rather than just kind of this open-ended rage or anger that I may have. So there is kind of a time period that I like to wait. Is mm-hmm. that good or bad? <laughs> well, I don't know. I could. I mean, look. If, I think it's 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 good to be as as clear and as unaggressive uh, as we can be. On the other hand, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a little emotion in a relationship. You know, if somebody makes you mad, you there's an, a, a relationship has to be able to stand an a degree an element of anger, provided it's not just attacking anger. You know, I mean, as long as there's consciousness and the person can say, look. These are my feelings, but they are real and, and, and feel safe enough to, to express them. Uh, that is an alive relationship that, that, that where, where people understand that, that, that emotions are involved and can tolerate the fact that, that somebody had hurt feelings and, and is expressing that. I don't think we have to wait until... I understand what you're saying, but I don't think it's necessary to wait until we're absolutely emotion-free you know, to give this, uh, you know, this sort of hyper-rational explanation of things. I think it's okay. You know, friendships, relationships are messy sometimes, and, and if friends can't be messy with each other once in a while if there can't be you know this, this a kind of a you know a um a a, a, a volatile you know engagement <laughs> once in a while then there's then they don't trust each other very much and trust is really important relationships are messy maybe acquaintances are not messy and they're just acquaintances and they're easy and they just they're sort of limited in terms of all of what we've been talking about courageousness vulnerability and and trust right how many relationships do you think were capable uh, not really true friendships on the average that each one of us are capable of having i mean you know some people have a million friends other people have one or two friends does that make a difference are some of us able to maintain lots of friends and others of us not mostly not mostly most of us only especially if we have a family if we're in a rela- in a in an intimate relationship we don't have much room in our we don't have that much room in our lives most of us have a handful of close friends a handful of people you know who, whom we uh, need to be truly honest with and that can sustain conflict and that kind of thing otherwise like you say it's it's an acquaintance it's an acquaintance, and acquaintances don't have those, don't have the, don't have that kind of range with each other. You know, I have a chapter in the book called "Colleagues Are Not Friends" because for me, it was a major learning to to realize that the people in my some of the people in my life that I work with, for instance, I love them. I feel very, I feel, I do feel a real kinship with them, but they're not friends. They're they're situational relationships that if you leave the job, you know, tend to end when you know when when you leave the job, and it's easy to get confused in those relationships. I've done it, where I thought that a colleague was a friend, uh, and, and I, was, I, mean, you operate on the, I was operating on the basis of, you know, of friendship, uh, where there were, there were more limitations to the relationship than I realized, and often you can be sort of left holding this sign, you know, I, I thought we were friends, uh, when in fact you, that was naive, and, and you were colleagues, and you might have been close, very fond colleagues, but that isn't a friendship. A friendship is something that has legs, it's not bound by you know, the situation, the job, and as you say, it can tolerate 
uh, it can tolerate confrontation, and it can and and, and it can tolerate uh, you know a, a bit of a bit of uh, upheaval now and then. So let yeah, let's talk about friendship in the workplace. Is that a good thing? Maybe it's not a good thing to have friends in the workplace. I mean, is it good? I mean, can you be friends with the person who's employing you if you're the employee, or vice versa? Or can you be I, friends I with somebody at so. work I, who's your who you're competing with? Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't actually think so, I, I, Catherine. I think that those are colleagues, uh, and there 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 can be intimacy. There can be real fondness, and those relationships can you know if those relationships continue beyond the the, the workplace, they can be friendships. But most of the time, they're not, and and that's why it's important, I think, to have boundaries with the people uh, we work with, uh, and to understand that. You know, then understand that they want to know us, but only to a certain degree, uh, and that when you when you open yourself up uh, too much with people to people you work with, uh, it, it can make it can make the working relationship awkward, uh, and it can also raise false expectations uh, you, in in thinking that the other person you know cares more about you and wants to know more about you than than they actually do. It's tempting and it's confusing because. You know, working can can mirror family life. You know, you can start to feel like the people you work with are your family, uh, which they're not, uh, and then bring in all of the issues that go go along with family. And you can think you can you can overestimate the the depth of of the friendship j- just because you spend so much time together. Uh, and we all need comrades, you know, on the job. You know, we 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 want people to commiserate with sometimes, and we certainly want people, you know, to 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 have social connection with at work and that's really important but that's not a friend yeah it's easy to get into that because you have a common interest obviously at whatever job or profession you're doing but there are boundaries you're saying there are limits maybe not a good idea to invite a colleague back to your apartment or to have them for dinner or to your house what do you think about that i mean i know for instance in japanese culture and i'm not sure this is still true because i was in japan a long long time ago but you never, never invited business people into your home. If you, if you were going to do some, even if it was going to be somewhat of a social thing, it, you had dinner at a restaurant. You had dinner outside your home. The home was personal. It was for real, true friendship. So mm-hmm. the boundaries were very. I don't know if that's still true, but very, very strict. We don't quite I think have that. I think that's. I think there's real wisdom in that. Uh, I think it's good to be friendly, but not friends with the people you work with. Uh, it's it's like it's like neighbors in an apartment building. You know, it's great to be friendly with them. You want to be. You want to. You want to have. You want to have good cheer, and you want to help each other if necessary. But when you try to be friends with people who live in an apartment building, for instance, in the same way that you know people you work with, uh, if things go wrong, it can get very awkward. Uh, so it's to understand realistically the nature of the relationship and the and the situation, uh, and and appreciate it for what it is, uh, while understanding that that there is that it's that it is not completely personal. You know, there there is a a professional element to it that that needs to be respected. Well, you've described all of the kind of social environments that I, I'm picturing myself in, and I have always had one person from each one of those environments that I have remained friends with over many, many years. My best friend from college, my best friend from boarding school, my best friend at work, uh, and my best friend in an apartment building that I lived in. But that there was just one person in each one of those environments who I maintained a very close relationship with over the years. 
Well, you're very blessed, and I mean that's that's wonderful. I mean, and, and that's ex- you're, those are, that's the exception to the rule. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said it's because I'm good at making friends. Not lots. I, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't think you can just you know if you have family and you have all kinds of other obligations. There are just so many friends you can have, but I only have one in each one of those situations. I only name four people. <laughs> uh huh. But that's that's look. That's that's way more than most people have, and and I, so you 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 obviously have a have a real have a gift for friendship, and that's you know that's a beautiful thing. All right. Talk to us more about some of the other situations that you got. You know, you have what several es- twenty four essays in your book uh, of different examples of, of of friendship or no friendship or uh, some of these issues that we've been talking about. Can we talk about some other examples? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, 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 I start the book talking about gossip, which is a big one. It's a it's a it's a hard thing, especially in, if you're in a group of friends. You know, I had a, I had a hard situation with with four of my closest friends, uh, where I I said something to someone uh, in the group that I assumed he knew, he didn't know it, and overnight I was excommunicated from this group of friends. They they dropped me overnight. Uh, later they apologized, and, and we are now you know friends to a degree again, but I really learned my lesson about sharing information uh, and what criteria to use before you open your mouth uh, to somebody. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a practicing Buddhist, and, and the Buddha talked about there being three basic questions to ask yourself before you share information. Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Uh, and if it doesn't meet those three criteria, uh, it's generally a good idea to, to, to keep your mouth shut. You know, we're born to gossip, I and mean, gossip is a natural human function. I talk about in the book that language itself actually evolved in human beings to enable us to talk about one another. You know, it's a social uh, controlling mechanism. It's a way of watching each other's backs and helping each other. Uh, but just because gossip is natural doesn't mean it's, it's beneficial or, or wise. So it's really important to watch what you say, uh, uh, whom you say it to, to uh, respect people's secrets, and to maintain, again, boundaries of communication so that, so that people can trust you and, and you, you don't find yourself like I was you know, on the outside looking in. Uh, and that's another big thing in, in friendship is this, this wanting to be in the in circle as opposed to being outside. And the things that people will do in order to be on the inside, you know, speaking of betrayal, you know, I know someone who betrayed a completely innocent person because she wanted to be in the in crowd. And she lived with the consequences of that for the rest of her life. Uh, something bad happened to the woman she had betrayed and, and she was implicated in it and it was all because of her fear of not being popular so the 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 fear the desire to be popular can drive us to do a lot of harmful you know a lot of harmful things um, another issue a big issue is interfering you know when do you interfere with with a friend with a friend's business you know when does it become your business to 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 if you see someone if someone if a friend is doing something you don't approve of you know, when do you open your mouth? When is well, it okay for well, you? Well, like what? For instance, what would a friend be doing that you, one would feel like, I need to say something, but I'm afraid to say something? And what kind well, of Well, for, for instance, I, I, I have a friend who was going through a midlife crisis, and he was doing a lot of indiscreet uh, dating uh, and bragging about it. And it, it was, I didn't, 
I didn't like it, and we had a mutual friend who was just going crazy over, you know, we've got to stop him. We've got to, we've got to, uh, you know, tell him to, you know, start being, you know, more private and all of this. And it put me in a terrible situation because I realized that it was, it was none of my business. What he was doing, it wasn't to my taste. Uh, had he asked me my opinion, I would have said, you know, I, I would, I would dial that back a little. I'd be a little bit, a bit more private. But the truth is, it wasn't my business, and and this brings me to uh, something uh, another spiritual teacher named Byron Katie says, which I think is great. She says there are three kinds of business in the world. There's my business, there's your business, and there's God's business. Uh, and if it's and it's very clear when you look at it that way, what's your business and what isn't? If a person isn't hurting you, and if he or she isn't in mortal danger. You know, obviously, if someone is putting himself or herself into physical danger, you speak up. That's what a friend does. Short of that, it's not really your business. Uh, And part of friendship is allowing people to be who they are, to make their own mistakes, uh, and to bless them and support them regardless. It's not, you know, friendship isn't based on on people, people behaving the way we think that they should behave. Well, just to, we have to say goodbye, but just to kind of uh, summarize it. I mean, as we've been talking, it almost sounds like friendship. Boy, you really have to be on your toes. You know, if you're going to talk to somebody, well, you were talking about gossip. It has to be true, necessary, kind. There are all these rules and regulations regarding friendship. Can it be spontaneous? <laughs> Does this just become yeah, yeah, spontaneous? yeah? No spon- <laughs> Well, that look, life requires uh, awareness and attentiveness and mindfulness, and and it, it's an illusion to think that we can just kind of go to sleep, let things ride, and not get into trouble. So it doesn't have to be. It's not about being hypervigilant all the time. It's about being aware, uh, and it's about, uh, it's about bringing mindfulness to our, our relationships so that they can be spontaneous and rich and, and, and have longevity. Yeah, it's, not, it's not a way of – it shouldn't be an inhibition. It should be a liberation for us to, you know, to, 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 uh, you know, to be awake in our relationships generally. And if we need more of a guide for that, we can go to your book, Ethical yeah. wisdom for friends, right? How to navigate life's most complicated, curious, and common relationship dilemma. Uh, dilemmas. Mark Matusik. Thanks so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having it's, me, Catherine. Yeah, Mark, it's been great talking to you. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take a short break right now, and uh, we'll be back with our next guest. We have two guests coming up. Uh, one of them, Melanie Gideon. Uh, she is the uh, director of uh, Operation Mend. Uh, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. 
Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Melanie Gideon. Melanie is the program manager for the UCLA Operation MEND program, which provides military personnel with severe facial and other medical injuries uh, access to the nation's top plastic and reconstructive surgery, as well as comprehensive medical and mental health support for the wounded and their families, the wounded coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And we also have someone who's been a recipient of these services, and we're going to be talk to, talking to him as well on the show. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on. It is Joey Polk. Well, it is uh, Melanie Gideon and uh, Joey Polk. Hi, thank you so much for having us. First, guys, let's talk about um, what is Operation MEND. I mean, I just gave an introduction to it, but specifically, what is Operation MEND? I guess it started in, what, 2007? How did it come about? Uh, Who specifically are the recipients of the services? Melanie, uh, tell us us a little background. Sure. So Operation MEND really started because there was this need within the military medical community to serve, um, you know, wounded service members who specifically back in 2007 had injuries to the face and hands. So basically, if you think about an IED going off, and, and Joey can talk about his situation, but essentially there were severe, severe injuries occurring to the face. Um, since then, they've obviously come up with really great, better equipment and things like that, fire retardant gear. But back in 2004, 2003, when, when these things were happening, the the military treatment facilities in particular our partner Burke Army Medical Center was being overwhelmed by these types of injuries where you know they didn't have plastic surgeons on staff at the go it was it was something that that we found a need to serve and so operation mend at UCLA was created to partner with the military to help with that specific need so uh that's how it all started back in 2007 with uh Ron and Maddie Katz their idea and um here we are now, you know, five years, six years later, and we have just spread across the whole health system. So pretty much anything these men and women need um, in terms of specialty care due to their injuries from combat or training, we are, we are ready to help. Melanie, what are we talking about in terms of numbers? I mean, as you say, it's been five years. It's a long time. So these, these injuries are so complex. So it sounds, you know, we have, we have 89 service members who have cut, walked through our door, which may not sound like a huge number to those listening, but if you think about the amount of surgeries these individuals have, I mean, our first patients had over 29 surgeries with us in over the course of these six years. So 
it's really a complex um, situation where these patients come in, and it could be a, a years and years before they're ready to, uh, you know, be back with their families and back into their normal life. Well, and you're talking about 89 individuals who are the recipients of the surgeries, but then you're also talking about whole families at the same time because it's it's all related, right? So it's a, a oh, lot of ab- people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they've there are studies done where the the levels of post traumatic stress are actually higher in families than the actual service member. So Operation Men's one of our main goals is to really wrap our arms around the entire family and and see how we can help and help them build resiliency skills when they go back home and, and, you know, start life again. You're talking about a top-rate or top-rate medical um, centers, UCLA. So um, the servicemen and women are getting really the best of care, I would, uh, cutting-edge kinds of, of treatment, I would imagine. Yeah, I don't, I don't like to toot our own horn, but well, go ahead. I think we're, you, uh, you know, we're number five in the country. We've yeah. been best in the West for, I believe, over 20 years. So, um, and definitely number one in Los Angeles, of course, because there are a few other competing hospitals. But our surgeons, I mean, the entire, the entire culture of UCLA is really to focus on healing humankind one patient at a time. And Operation Mend is a perfect example of how we can really, you know, just do whatever we can, especially for these service members. They've done so much for our country. They deserve the absolute best, and that's what we're doing. Joey, I think now I'd like to hear from you because you are the patient, you are the recipient, a recipient of these services, uh, now retired and in your hometown of Oceanside, California, living with your girlfriend and two dogs. Talk to us about what happened to you, what was your experience, uh, you know, the nature of your injuries and how you were helped by Operation MEND. Well, in 2007, uh, I was deployed to Afghanistan, uh, ironically, on Valentine's Day. Um, so we get into the country and we uh, are told our mission briefs on what we're going to do in country. And basically, uh, I was a military police officer, so we went over there to train the Afghan army and the Afghan police on how to better defend themselves and to defeat the enemy uh, alongside uh, partnership with them on searching uh, villages to find any contraband that the enemy might try to use against us. On uh, on 5 July 2007, a scout unit went out early morning on a mission, and they were hit with an IED and small arms fire. Uh, they radioed back to base that they needed QRS, which uh, stands for Quick Reaction Force. Um, so we loaded up our trucks, we got our mission brief, we got our route and their location, and we pursued a assist them uh, as we were on our route to assist uh, the enemy had an IED uh, on the route waiting for us to retaliate uh, in doing so the IED was a triple stacked anti-tank mine uh, with a pressure plate on top so as soon as I rolled over it it went off um, at the back side of my truck which is also where our fuel tank is and any extra canisters of fuel. Um, so as soon as it erupted, our truck uh, erupted in flames and flipped upside down. Um, luckily, there was enough inner uh, pressure that the explosion ejected my gunner and myself out of the truck. 
um, safely, uh, so to say. Um, unluckily, it killed my team leader. Uh, from what I was told, it was instantly. So, luckily, he didn't have to suffer. Um, but you got you as I you had forty percent burns to your body, your face, smoke, and and you've had ten of your fingers amputated. Yes, uh, as I was ejected from the truck, I was also engulfed in flames, where I was told I was unconscious between two or three minutes in flames while my battle buddies were trying to put me out with a fire extinguisher. So after this, then you um, had to apparently learn how to walk and talk all over again? Uh, uh, yes, they, uh, they introduced me or induced me into a medical coma where I woke up at Brook Army Medical Center uh, in San Antonio, Texas, three weeks later, um, where I had lost about 65 pounds. I hadn't had any mobility for about a month. So I lost, I lost a lot of muscle um, with the smoke inhalation and the vocal cord paralysis. I could barely talk. Uh, my family and doctors would have to be right up against my mouth and still barely hear what I had to say. And Joey, I have to, sure. how, how do you have the strength to go on? And can you connect that to, say, Operation Men, Mend, how it helped you to kind of motivate you to do all of this? Because as you're describing what happened to you, and it sounds so, so horrendous, and, and I see what you've done and you, um, you know, to recover, um, where'd you get the strength from? Emotional uh, strength as well as physical. Maybe emotional well, before I went to war, I told myself, you know, I'm going to war. This isn't a game. I could die. I can get severely injured, or I could witness a lot of things mentally and come back unstable. So I kind of prepped myself for that. But when I hit, there's no real preparation for it. So as soon as I woke up out of my coma, the first face I saw was my mom. And uh, that was probably the best sight I could have possibly seen. Uh, with her and my girlfriend and all of my family and friends and uh, my soldiers, uh, with all of their support and constant uh, phone calls and emails and letters trying to check up on me and kind of motivate me to come home and everything of that sort, uh, it was kind of easy on my part to stay motivated and stay up-spirited to uh, finally get done with everything in Texas and get back here to California. Uh, that's quite a story. I want to, um, Melanie, I, I'm, I'm curious is when you get other patients, um, men and women who uh, need, obviously, the help of Operation Men, are there some who don't have the strength or the support, say, like Joey has? I mean, you described you have your girlfriend, your mother was the first face that you saw, so you had a lot of family and friends supporting you, but there may be cases where that's not the case, and so the person may be more alone and then... Operation Mend has to provide motivation, and so you know examples in that kind of a situation. Yeah, I mean, if you if you know if you think about the just in general, a lot of a lot of young people go into the military because they don't know what they want to do. You know, they don't know if they want to go to college, they don't know if they want to get a job. So the military provides so many great things for them, and and they love giving back to the country. So they go in and they're a little uncertain, and then these horrific things happen. And if they have an unsteady support network with their family, they can come back to a broken place. And so, you know, with Operation Mend, and, you know, I'll never forget the day I met Joey, and I was at Brook Army Medical Center, and Joey was 
standing in a, you know, like by where he was with his mother, he looked, he had sunglasses on and a hood up and I could barely see his face, but I could see that he was extremely burned and his mother was about the size of my finger. She was so skinny and, and, and she just looked like she had been overcome by stress. Um, and so getting Joey to come to Operation Mend and to now see that his mom doesn't even come with him anymore because she's now moved on and she's got this great job and she's just a different person and she'll forever thank us, you know, and we talk to her all the time. But it's a perfect example of giving, you know, kind of helping the family get back to that safe place. And I think with many of the families that come through Operation Mend, there are so many pieces to the puzzle and and we really do everything we can to put mend them back together physically emotionally spiritually whatever it is that they need um to get back as a family that's that's crucial take us through the process let's say someone comes into the do i call it a program or yeah yeah comes into the program and obviously the first thing their physical needs have to be taken care of but then and try, you know, I'm a social worker, and I've done a lot of hospital <laughs> social work, so I'm really, uh, this is a fabulous program, but, you know, do you have interviews, do you, you know, because there has to be a lot of, I would yeah. imagine, counseling, therapy, uh, you know, outside resources that need to, need to be taken care of, so. Yeah, you know. no, I mean, that's really, so, so a patient and their family can come into the program. We have actually no waiting list, so really it's just that they're, they have combat or training injuries sustained in, in this current era of war um, and that they have a case manager on the other side of them that can help us with anything we need for medical records. That's So basically they, they come through our door and we've already done a pretty good pre-assessment screening to understand what their injuries are. We've spoken with their case manager. We get kind of the scoop on, you know, any other issues that they're having um, emotionally, mentally, if there's any suicide, you know, risk of suicide, things like that. Um, we know those things before they walk in our door for, for as much as we can now. And then we put our team to work. So we have a family care uh, director on staff who's a trained psychologist who meets with these families the second they walk in. And she is really going to be the one who will give them these sessions together and separately. You know, if it's the couple, if it's the parents, if it's the children, she she kind of runs that part of our show. And then she does link them to more services. So if they need a psychiatrist, if they need a neuropsychologic assessment, if they, you know, whatever they need, then then we provide those things here at UCLA. And then for continuing support, if they, you know, need more when they get home, we provide that. We also provide tele telefocus, it's called. So focus is families overcoming under stress. So we provide them with cameras. They go home. We can talk to them whenever they need to. Um, it's it's really comprehensive in making sure that you know everybody's moving forward. That's that's always our goal when someone walks in our door. It's a step forward, and it always will be. And you, it sounds like you are are always connected. Uh, that connection piece is really interesting. You were saying videos, but do you use Skype? Can you have Skype? It's uh, it's the same. It's a similar system. Yeah, exactly. It's just like Skype. This is UCLA. That's West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. We're in New York. <laughs> Do we have anything like that? And shouldn't we? Because everyone is screaming. You know, these these our our veterans from you know men and women from Iraq and Afghanistan are not being taken care of. The suicide rate is, and I don't have the statistics, is so high for vets who come back. So you know, you've had all this experience. How what, we should be emulating you? 
Yeah, I mean, we've got a ton of supporters out in New York. Um, Willie Geist, I'm not sure if you know who that is. He's one of our biggest supporters out there. We we partake in events, the Veterans Day Parade, all sorts of things. Maybe you can join us, actually, this year if you'd like to. Um, right. But, uh, you know, we, we participate in a lot of things. There's a lot of hype out there about what we do, but really it the patients want to come to L.A., they want to, you know, we bring them in and we have families that also take them to dinner and take them out to Malibu and sightseeing and give them all this sort of entertainment while they're here as well. So that's another piece of our, our program. But basically, um, no, there isn't, there is, we are Operation Men to UCLA, so we are not on the East Coast at this time. But, um, you know, there's talk that we might work something out out there at some point. But right now it's it's a West Coast thing. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I mean, it's a fabulous program. Um, Joey, do you have anything that you would, you know, in terms of your experiences that you would want to share, say, with other vets who are coming back, uh, in terms of uh, maybe do's or don'ts or any kind of advice uh, given your experience with Operation Mend? Um, they should definitely give Operation Mend a try. Uh, as as strong as I thought I was going to be, with the motivation of my family and friends to get back here to California. I was still extremely depressed and down in the dirt because of how I looked physically and how everybody was staring at me and commenting and uh, just kind of spectating from afar. So when I met Melanie, she told me about Operation Men. I had had so many surgeries, and there's other veterans that have had far more surgeries than I had. So when she offered the opportunity to go to Operation Men and UCLA, uh, I was surgery fatigued and so I, I told her no at first, which uh, can't come to find out was a bad idea. But I didn't have the strength uh, to pull myself back together. So I got a hold of Melanie and asked her to introduce me to the doctors and their staff and everything to see what they can do for me. And as soon as the first surgery was complete and I was all healed up, I looked 10 times better. I never thought I could look as good as I possibly uh, could at the time. Um, because of other doctors and other nurses telling me other stories and other things that could and couldn't happen. But Operation Men broke the guidelines to what could and couldn't happen. And they put me back together and just putting me back together uh, physically uh, helped me out significantly mentally. And I'm fairly sure that it's done that to just about every veteran that's in the program and could help any other veteran that's not in the program. I want to interrupt you because, you know, you mentioned being depressed, you know, and, and feeling bad about the way you looked and not wanting to go on with all this surgery because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's exhausting at the very least. So I guess your message is kind of, don't give up because it's going to not, it's not like a easy path. Once you start on this, you know, you go, it's sort of up and down, it sounds like. You're going in a good direction, but then there are times when you really need help from other people, which you obviously got from Melanie. Um, Absolutely. Uh, if anybody out there is willing to offer a helping hand, take it. I thought I was tough enough and strong enough to kind of stabilize myself and reenter the world and, so, and civilization on my own, but I couldn't, and I don't recommend any veteran trying to do it on their own. Always take the help that's out there for you. That's why it's there. Joey, do you have any kind of a connectedness to other patients, like groups that you meet together to talk about some of the issues that, that come up that may be similar? 
um, that aren't necessarily unique to you. Um, you know, I don't want to call it group therapy necessarily, but kind of like uh, just a connection to other uh, other vets who have gone through Operation Mend. I stay in touch with a bunch of the veterans that go through Operation Mend via uh, Facebook or Skype, or I get their phone numbers and we just shoot each other text messages. Uh, it's a very close family. Um, once you enter Operation Mend, uh, you're not getting out. Even if you finish with all of your surgeries, you're still a part of Operation Men family, and they're always going to look out for you and take care of you. And, and and veterans in itself, that's just that's how we take care of each other and look out for each other, uh, whether or not we're hurt. So since we are, we all kind of have this common bond, and we all kind of know what we're all going through. So I try to stay in touch with a bunch of the veterans in the program as often as possible. Yeah, that sounds really important, obviously. And, uh, Melanie, what have we left out? Have we left out anything in terms of the services that uh, Operation Mend, uh, you know, we tried to kind of give a general, oh, I don't know if general, but yeah. want to be as specific as we can about what you do. And if someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the process? What do you do? Yeah, so, I mean, really, I think you covered so much of it. It's We, are, we have no waiting list. We are 100% free to the service member and their family, whether they're active duty, they're veterans, wherever they are in their, you know, any service branch, we are here to help. And we are looking for, you know, service members who have any sort of specialty injury. It can be to the face, to the hand, you know, to the, it could be traumatic brain injury. It can be um, ophthalmologic injuries. It can be anything you can think of um, that, you know, you require specialty care for. So we are ready and, and willing, and you can call our office, 310-267-2110, or go to our website, which is operationmend.ucla.edu. Um, I mean, really, we are – I appreciate Joey saying that we're a family because we always say that about ourselves, but hearing Joey says that just kind of makes me feel like – he knows it, you know, and uh, it's just, it really is a family, and, and these service members deserve to be treated like they are our family, so. It has to be such rewarding work for you. I mean, how did you get involved in Operation Mend? It, it is, it's the best thing I've ever had presented to me. It's the best choice I've ever made in my life. Um, Operation Mend was a, a program that started a year after um, I was an intern here at UCLA for the chief operating officer while I was getting my master's degree in Michigan, and I was asked to come out here to to run this program. And it was we only had four or five patients in the system, so it was a it was a baby, and I got to help help create let the baby grow. <laughs> so it's been it's been just a wonderful beyond wonderful life-changing experience for me because, you know, every time we get a new service member in our program, it's like I have a new friend. And um, I think all of our staff has that same sentiment because these, these service members are just brilliant people with just challenges that you would, you would want to help anyone with like, like they are your own family. Yeah, and and I understand that, and it's so heartbreaking when you hear. I mean, you, the veterans are, as you mentioned earlier in the show, going over there, risking their lives and risking everything, risking their own families and coming back and risking having not good relationships, all of those things, and yet the, um, we don't take care of our veterans when they come back, or at least we're not doing what you're doing. I mean, what a terrific program. So I assume that you're going, you're, you must be out there, 
um, talking to people about what you do. Um, on well, you have the website, you're online, but what else? Is there anything else that you're doing that that, that makes yeah, people we're, aware? Yeah, you know, we we have a Facebook Operation Mend. Um, we are talking to people all the time. I mean, if you know, there's over fifty thousand service members who have been injured in the last ten years. If we have eighty nine, I think that means there's some people out there who may know someone who may need us. You know, and just don't hesitate. People can always say no, but if you don't ask the question, um, you know, you can't help anyone unless you try. So. I really just urge people to think about who they know who's been injured in combat or in training that that may need help, may need a second opinion, may need peace of mind that the surgery they're having right now is the right thing to do, those types of things, you know. So um, reach out. And may may be afraid the person themselves to ask for help. I think Joey kind of alluded to that. You know, you go over there, you fight, you're, you're strong, you have to, you know, maintain your strength and then you come back and you feel weak and vulnerable and not wanting to ask for help and sometimes I think you know a family member or a loved one or a partner or a spouse can be the person to get get uh, someone like Joey or a veteran into to get their help at uh, Operation Mend. Yeah I mean that's that's really what it is you know we're, we're all just people at the end of the day we have all of our own social networks our own connections but if Everyone knows someone in the, who's served. Everyone knows someone whose family has served. You know, reach out to people and, and try to make that difference in their life. I mean, we are so proud of what we do because it's unique and it's you know it's it's something that's that they, everyone deserves. Everyone who's served our country deserves that opportunity and that choice to make for themselves. So, you know, we're here for you. There's no waiting list. It's 100% free, guaranteed. Um, you know, just give us a call. <laughs> Fantastic. It's, it's uh, you know, when I heard about the program, I was really surprised that I had never heard about the program, and I should have heard about the program. So <laughs> you definitely, <laughs> definitely need to get the word out. So, um, you know, Joey, any one last comment before we say goodbye? Uh, just like Melanie was saying, is if you know somebody, tell them. Uh, Operation Men, is, it's worth it. It's... Uh, very tight family loving group and honestly it's helped me more than I can ever repay them and I know that they could do the same for every other veteran that has uh, mental or physical issues. Great. Well, it's been great talking to both of you today and getting both of your perspectives, obviously, which uh, there are some similarities, but a lot of differences. Thanks so much. Melanie Gideon, she is the uh, program director of Operation Mend, and uh, Joey Polk is one of uh, the recipients of the program. Great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.